ask that you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. This will mark our uh, third study together in John 17, a chapter that's widely uh, recognized as one of the most remarkable in all of Scripture uh, because of the fact that it lets us into the private life of God. Because here in John 17, as I've said before, we're able to listen in on a conversation uh, that God the Son has uh, with God the Father. He's pouring his heart out uh, before the Father, and we get to, to tune into that. And so this morning, if you're here and you're a Christian, uh, as we return to this passage, it should be of great interest to you to, to hear what it is that Jesus is praying for uh, on your behalf. Uh, not only uh, does this tell us something about uh, us and what we need, but it tells us something about uh, Jesus and what Jesus wants and what Jesus desires for us. And if you're here uh, this morning and, and you're not a Christian, first of all, I just want to uh, say how glad we are that you're here, uh, but I also want to just encourage you to pay attention to uh, our passage and listen specifically for, for what Jesus' prayer says about his priorities, what it says about his uh, concerns, specifically what, he says about, what it says about his concerns uh, for you. Because in this passage, we see that Jesus has a concern uh, for people such as yourself, uh, people who perhaps even at this very moment are fiercely resisting him. And Jesus has a concern that you would receive life and salvation in his name. And so we'll see that Jesus, in this passage, he prays for his disciples that they would be set apart for his mission in the world as he himself has set himself apart for the world. And because of this, we'll see that we uh, should give our life in mission for him as he has given his life for us. So let's look at John 17. We'll start at verse 11 but we'll focus on verses 17 to 19. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And here's our text for this morning. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's go to God now and ask for his help. O oh Lord, our prayer this morning is the prayer that Jesus made for his disciples and for us, uh, so many years ago, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would sanctify us, that you would set us apart by your truth, by your word. 
pray, Lord, that you would use the scripture that we just read and the preaching of your word to uh, build your people up in holiness and to prepare us for the mission that you have given to us in the world to make known Christ and to make known the salvation that's found in him. So help us, Lord, we pray. Provide us with everything that we need so that this will happen. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we uh, last looked at Jesus' prayer in uh, John 17, we saw how uh, Jesus prayed that the Father would protect or uh, he would guard his followers so that they would remain uh, united in the truth as it's found in Jesus. We see this in verse 11 where Jesus uh, prays, Holy Father, keep them, that is, keep uh, his followers in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. And we noted uh, perhaps the illustration has stuck with you, uh, using the illustration of these uh, marine iguana hatchlings, how significant this prayer is, because Jesus would soon return to his Father and leave his followers in the world, a world which Jesus tells us is hostile and opposed toward him and all uh, who follow him. We talked about how, uh, as, as Christians, from the moment that we are given new life in the world, the enemy is seeking to devour us. But unlike the uh, helpless iguanas that we used as our illustration, we are not helpless. We are not left to our own devices. We're not left to fend for ourselves, but we have Jesus, whose prayers are always answered, praying for us, praying that the Father in heaven would protect us and guard us and keep us in the faith. That was the first thing that we saw Jesus praying for his disciples for, their protection in the faith. But there's a second thing that Jesus prays for, which is found in verse 17. Jesus prays that his followers would, uh, or that the Father would sanctify his disciples in the truth. So what does this mean, sanctify them in the truth? Well, we're helped in understanding what exactly this word sanctify means by turning in our Bibles to the book of Exodus. In Exodus, you may recall, uh, God has taken his people out of slavery in Egypt and he's bringing them through uh, the desert to the promised land. And he meets with his people there in the desert and he uh, provides them with instructions for the building of a tent, a tabernacle, which would be the place where he would meet with his people. And in the book of Exodus, we have uh, very specific instructions that are given by God for the building of this tabernacle, this tent, and for the building of, of all the, the instruments and furnishings that would be found in uh, the tabernacle for the worship of God. Now, if you read through the book of Exodus, this theme comes out very clearly. Everything that uh, was in the tabernacle was specifically devoted to God's use. Because God is holy and because worshiping him is so important, uh, you weren't going to use uh, a, a shovel uh, to clean up the ashes uh, on the altar. You wouldn't use the same shovel that you used to clean up after the sheep, for example. Right? This would have been unthinkable in people's minds. The tabernacle and all that was found in it, uh, uh, everything contained there, it didn't do double duty. These things were set apart uh, for God's purposes. Maybe uh, it's helpful uh, to think about this concept. Uh, you think about your grandmother's fine china. It used to be, uh, although I don't think that this is so much the case anymore, but maybe I'm wrong, uh, that families would have their everyday dinnerware and then they would have uh, their fine china that was stored in a dusty cabinet somewhere. 
And uh, you only pulled out that fine china, you know, uh, maybe on a, a Sunday after church when uh, special visitors were coming over, right? So you didn't heat up your leftovers on this fine china, right? Uh, there was something about these dishes. You knew that when these dishes were pulled out, uh, that these were special visitors that you were meeting with, that this was a, a special meal that you were uh, participating with. The fact that they were set apart for a special use said something about uh, when uh, you were using them. Well, it's in a similar way, perhaps, that, that uh, God's people were told that certain things were set aside for exclusive use, spoke to the value of worship and the glory of God. For example, in Exodus 30, uh, God orders the Israelites to consecrate or, or sanctify, as the King James translates it, uh, the tabernacle and to sanctify the, the ark that was housed in the tabernacle, and to uh, sanctify the, the tools, the, the shovels and the candlesticks and the like that were uh, to be found in there. They were all to be sanctified, set apart, devoted to God and His service. In other places in the Old Testament, we read that it's not just objects that are sanctified uh, or set apart, but people are as well. And the same, or, and the, the major example being in the Old Testament, the Levites. These were the people who were to uh, minister before God in the tabernacle. They were set apart for that special job of leading God's people in worship. Well, when we arrive at the New Testament, uh, we see that uh, that which God has set apart for His special use is no longer tents. It's no longer shovels. It's no longer Levites. These things were just sort of previews of, of what would come. But what God sets apart for his special use is none other than his people. The place where God dwells, the, the instruments that God uses, the priests whom God appoints for sacred duty, these, according to the New Testament, are the people of God, his church. And as such, the Christian then is set apart. He or she is devoted to God to be used for his special purposes. The aim and shape of the Christian's life is to reflect that he is God's to use. His sanctification, his being set apart, consists in the fact that he is set apart for the Lord and that more and more how he lives his life reflects that set-apart status. So... When Jesus prays uh, that the Father would sanctify his followers, his disciples, he's praying that the disciples would be more and more distinguished from the world that they live in. He's praying that it would be clear that, that by their word and by their lives, uh, that, that these disciples, they were uh, instruments to be used in the service of God. The world, according to John's gospel, stands in rebellion to God. It resists his authority. It rejects his commands. It denies his purposes. And here, Jesus prays that his father would work in his disciples so that their lives, in contrast to the world, would show that they've embraced God's purposes, that they've devoted themselves uh, to God's purposes. Right? They, they're set apart from the world as those in the world who belong to God to be used by God. So how does this happen in Jesus' mind as he prays? Well, Jesus tells us the way that Jesus' followers are set apart from the world is the truth of God, or Jesus specifies it's the word of God. The word here refers to the message which Jesus spoke about uh, himself to his disciples, which he had received from the Father all throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus is talking about the words that the Father has given uh, to him to speak to the people so that they might 
know God. It was the fulfillment of, of all the Old Testament had anticipated that God himself had come in Jesus to rescue his people. And it's as this word is embraced and as this word is believed that it sets men and women apart from the world. Whoever believes, whoever trusts in this word that Jesus speaks is brought out of darkness, we read in John 12, 46, in John 8, 12. Whoever believes this word is, is set apart from the world. And that then as this word further grips people and, and as more and more it transforms them, they are distinguished from the world as, as belonging to God. So God sanctifies, he sets his, his people apart, he distinguishes uh, them by taking aim at us by his word and driving it into our hearts and then allowing that word to go to work on us, convicting us of sin and healing our hurts and, and stirring up our praises and instructing us in the truth, training us in godly living. And as this happens, as God's word goes to work in us, our desires change. The attitudes of our heart change. The things we love change. The power of sin over us changes. So God's work at work in his people begins to make clear that, that his people are, are not of the world, but instead we have been set apart for his holy purposes. So I want to think for a moment what this means for us. If God's people are set apart for his special purposes through his word, then we need to recognize that true usefulness as a Christian, the sort of usefulness that, that God blesses, that has eternal consequence, that true usefulness as a Christian comes from being mastered by God's Word. The more we're mastered by God's Word, the more uh, that, that uh, it, it shapes us, that it sanctifies us, the more prepared we are to be fully useful to God. Paul makes this case in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 20 and 21, where he says, he's using a picture of, of a household. He says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. The point he's making here, and the point I think we can make from our passage, is the best way to grow in usefulness as a Christian, to be set apart for God's special service, is to grow in holiness as we encounter and rub up against the Word of God. Now, this is a good reminder for us, I think, this morning. In our families, in our jobs, at church, I think we're a people, we want to make a difference. Right? Planted within us, I think there's a longing to do things that make a difference. We want to be helpful. We want to be useful. We want to be productive. There's things to do. There's uh, ministry to be done. And so, in a world of tyrannical to-do lists and overstuffed calendars and, and still more needs than we can ever meet, here's something that we need to hear. That what people need from us before anything else, before our appointments, before our involvement, before our activity, what they need from us is for the Word of God to be making us look more like Jesus. If you want to be truly useful to people, useful to your spouse, useful to your kids, useful to your colleagues, useful to your church, what they need, first of all, is not more of you. They need more of Christ displayed in you. 
People don't need more of Wayne Veenstra. They need more of Christ at work in Wayne Veenstra. The Scottish minister Robert Murray McShane, uh, writing to a, a pastor friend um, some time ago, counseled his friend to keep careful watch over his holiness of life. He said, Remember you are God's sword, his instrument. In great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument, will be the success. It's not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. Now, while this is certainly a much-needed uh, message for your pastors, I think McShane would have uh, been equally happy to say that a holy person is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. And if this is so, the way in which God intends for us to grow in holiness and in turn grow in usefulness is through regular exposure to the Word of God. So if you want to be used by God this week, then the best place for you to start is by opening your Bibles, reading it, praying through it, and praying as Jesus prays for his followers here, that, that he would, through his words, set you apart for his service. It's the best place you can start if you desire to be useful. But if Jesus wants his followers to be set apart, the next question obviously has to be set apart for what? Uh, what's Jesus' purpose in wanting his disciples to be set apart in the truth? Well, our answer is found in, in verse 18. Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. See, sanctification is, is always uh, for a reason. And here, Jesus prays the reason uh, uh, that he gives for his disciples' sanctification is because they are sent into the world on mission. Now, the nature of the disciples' mission in the world is only understood as we understand Jesus' mission because he draws a, a comparison, a likeness between the two. He says, as, you've, uh, as the Father has sent me, so I have sent them. Well, time and time again in John's gospel, Jesus' mission is spoken of as one, a, a mission of salvation. He's on a mission to bring salvation. Jesus comes into the world on this mission of salvation. The Father sends him into the world to bring salvation to sinners, to shine a light into darkness, to bring life to the dead. John 10.10, 10, uh, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 12, 46 to 47, Jesus says, I came into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them, for I did not come into the world. Uh, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Oh, John's gospel uses a, a variety of language of, of, of uh, shedding light, of, of bringing salvation, of bringing life. The idea is the same in every case, that at the heart of Jesus' mission was uh, a plan to save sinners. So his, his mission was a mission of salvation into the world a world that had rejected God. But the Gospel of John also emphasizes another point of Jesus' mission. Jesus was sent to reveal God. The things that Jesus spoke and did while he was on earth were so that men might uh, come to know who God was actually, truly. In fact, Jesus says this at the beginning of his prayer in John 17. He says that salvation, the salvation he came to bring consists in this, that men know God and that they know Christ. Jesus was sent into the world so that men might know God and be saved. 
And as Jesus was sent into the world, so he sends his followers. Now, we want to be clear that uh, Jesus' mission is not uh, the exact same uh, as his followers. Because uh, while Jesus' followers spoke about God, Jesus spoke as God. And Jesus came uh, to give his life as the, the sacrifice for sin. Something that his disciples didn't have to do and they couldn't do. But the point here is not the differences between this mission. The point is the similarities. Jesus sends his set-apart, his sanctified disciples into the world so that through them the world might know God and be saved. We see uh, how Jesus' prayer uh, is, is answered by the Father all throughout the New Testament. It's like uh, the rest of the New Testament is, is just Jesus' answer to this prayer. Because as Jesus prays that his disciples, the apostles, would be gripped by the word, he prays that so that they would be devoted to making Jesus and making uh, his salvation known. See, the answer to this prayer and how Peter was, was gripped by the Spirit at the day of Pentecost so that he publicly preaches to all the people there, telling them that Jesus is the promised Christ. And out of the world, thousands are saved. See, the, the answer to prayer as the Apostle Paul, who's bound up in chains, personally speaks about Jesus to the Roman guards who are around him so that he could say he was an ambassador in chains and through him the gospel was advancing. See, Jesus' prayer here answered as the Father uh, 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 sends his spirit to inspire the Apostle John to, to put to paper the things that he saw and heard and touched so that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ. John just had to, 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 to have people see who Jesus was and that life was possible in him. See, it's because uh, God answers this prayer that these men are seized by the word of God, seized by the message that Jesus came proclaiming, that a Savior was there. And because they are seized by it, because they are gripped by it, they would preach and they would speak and they would write to people who didn't share the same uh, outlook on life as them, to people who did not uh, behave as they did, to people who did not want to submit to Jesus as their master and Lord. The word had taken hold of them. The word was, was working in them. It was, it was setting them on fire, so to speak. It was making them look less and less like the world, and it was making them look more and more like the master whose mission they were following after. And because of that, they devoted themselves to this mission of speaking and writing and communicating about Jesus, that Jesus had come and he had come bringing life and salvation to men. But while Jesus' prayer is made most immediately for his apostles, it's a prayer that he also makes uh, by extension for his followers today. It's a prayer that Jesus prays for us. See this as he goes on in verse 21 to make clear that, that uh, his uh, Christians today are a part of Jesus' mission to the world, that we play a part in that. So we see that, that God causes in us to uh, believe his word. And as we believe that word, we are set apart from the world. And then God causes that word to be at work in us by his spirit so that we are sanctified, increasingly set apart, distinguished from the world. And God does all this so that through us, his word can go out to the world. 
We've been given a mission. We have been sent. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So a word to Harvest Church. We have a mission to be pursuing holiness while pursuing men and women with the gospel. Now, how each of us carries out that mission is going to look different uh, based on, on how God has made us, the gifts he's given to us, based upon the people that we're talking to, the relationships that we have with them. But the lean should be the same. The lean should be reaching out toward unconverted people to share the gospel of Christ with them. For some of us, this might mean uh, striking up a conversation with the, the cashier at the grocery store uh, as we're leaving the store. Maybe just asking them, uh, how do you plan to celebrate Christmas and seeing where that goes? Maybe it means setting up a play date with the mom down the street whose uh, uh, boys look like they would absolutely terrorize your house. Uh, maybe it means uh, uh, asking your waitress at the restaurant how you and your friends could pray for uh, her before uh, as you pray before your meal. Maybe it means uh, starting to say no to some opportunities so that you can uh, more readily invest in opening up your home to colleagues and neighbors. Maybe it just means paying more attention to the people around you and recognizing uh, that you have been sent on mission to the world to speak of Christ, to speak of his salvation. These are just a, a few ideas, and, and, I'm, and I know that, that many of you are, are doing things already and probably have better ideas than these, and so uh, maybe just a good idea is uh, as you drink your coffee after the service, instead of just jumping into your usual catch-up, uh, begin by asking, uh, what sort of things have you found helpful in engaging uh, uh, the people around you in spiritual conversations? I think that could be a very profitable uh, way to, to spend your coffee time. But Jesus has set us apart. And then he sends us, he sends us into the world. He's praying for our protection because he sends us into the world. He's uh, sanctifying us, making us holy because he sends us into the world because he desires that men and women who are still in the world might come to know him and be saved. And this speaks to Jesus' great heart, his great desire, his great compassion and mercy for sinners, for men and women who, like we were at one point, still caught in our sin. That's our mission. That's what Jesus sends us on. We need to know, we need to remember that our growing up in grace is also always aimed at our reaching out with grace. I think a, a danger that, that we might face is that we face off a sanctification on the one hand against mission on the other. Uh, we pursue a knowledge of God. We pursue a knowledge of his word. Uh, which is not sort of deliberately aimed at engagement with the world or is not, or is not sort of uh, intended in such a way that, that we would uh, uh, grow in holiness and as we do that, turn outward to those around us with the gospel to engage those we've been on, sent on mission to. It's possible that we focus so much on preparation that we never give our attention to deployment. We've got uh, great ministries here at Harvest Church, ministries that we're really excited about. But maybe the question is, uh, why are we participating in them? Why uh, go to women's Bible study? Uh, why go to James Fellowship? Why go to high school theology? Why go to small group? Maybe uh, as we think about this corporately as a body, we, we uh, you sent out the, um, 
the, the summary of our elders retreat recently, and one of the things we talked about is, is how do we do a better job at engaging our community? We have so many ministries here who, uh, that have been uh, used by God to build us up uh, in, in grace. But, but how, do, how do we take that and, and use them, mobilize ourselves for the purpose that's behind our sanctification? As Christians, we, we uh, engage in Bible study. We go to small group because we, we want to know the Lord. We want to be more and more sanctified. We want to be more and more set apart. We want to be more and more useful. These are good things, as I've said, important things. But we, we're not to pursue sanctification at the expense of our mission. If part of our, our reason for participating in these ministries is not because it prepares me to then turn out to be a, a messenger, an ambassador for Christ in the world, then we're breaking a connection which Jesus is establishing here between our growth in holiness and our mission. Pursuing, mission, or pursuing sanctification without engaging in ministry or, or engaging in mission is an exercise in missing the point. It's like uh, running... Uh, uh, endless basketball practices, but never actually hosting a game. It's like saving up for an engagement ring and then never proposing. It's like putting money aside for retiring and then never retiring. It's like saving room for dessert and never having a piece of cake. Right? You're never seeing the purpose behind your pursuit realized. And while mission is not the only purpose behind our sanctification, it's not even the ultimate purpose behind our sanctification, it is a purpose behind it. And so long as, as, as we pursue sanctification and we're not pursuing mission, we're missing something. Now, since mission is one of the reasons for our sanctification, as we study our Bibles, as we apply our Bibles, as the, as the Word grips us, this should lead us to remember that we are called out to go to the world, to engage the world, to go beyond our walls, to step outside our comfort zone and speak of Christ and his salvation. Then we come to verse 19. Verse 19 uh, is the, the motor, the engine, the power that, that uh, is behind our sanctification and in turn behind our mission to the world. If we didn't have verse 19, then we wouldn't have verse 17, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't uh, be able to, to count on being sanctified, and we wouldn't have verse 18, we wouldn't have a mission. In order, us to, uh, in order for us to be sanctified, something needs to happen, and that's what verse 19 makes clear. In order for us to be sanctified in the truth, Jesus must consecrate himself, or uh, that's the same word there as sanctify, Jesus must sanctify himself. He must set himself apart for God's purposes. He must set himself apart for holy service so that his followers may in turn be set apart. Now, if you've been reading John's gospel uh, through from the beginning, you, you know that there is a particular act of consecration that Jesus has in mind here. In view, there is one thing left for Jesus to do. In view is his imminent death. This is the central purpose of Jesus' coming. It's the chief act of service that he will render, that he would lay down his life and he would then take it back up again. That was the charge he had received from his father. If Jesus didn't devote himself to this act of obedience, if he did not set himself apart for the cross, then we could never, we would never be a set apart from the world. Jesus' sanctification was a necessary condition 
for our sanctification. If he didn't go to the cross, then we would still be in our sin, dead in our sin. We would be attached to our sin. We would be attached forever to the world. Only by Jesus going to the cross to deal with our sin could we be taken out from the world to then be sent back into the world. It's only because Jesus goes to the cross. He pays the price for sin, your sin, my sin, and thus breaking its power over us that we can be set apart for mission. Jesus sanctifies himself by devoting himself to the cross. He sets himself apart so that we might be set apart for the sake of the world. Jesus gives himself, and as a result, we should give our lives for the sake of others, to make Jesus known, to make his salvation known. We don't do it as Jesus did, making sacrifice for sin, but we do it by devoting ourselves to seeing others honor Jesus, love Jesus, worship Jesus, and find life in Jesus. This is the power behind our sanctification. Our mission is not just, hey, there's something we're supposed to do, go do it. Right? The power behind it is the fact that Christ has given his life for us that we might be saved from the world so that we in turn might go back and tell people there is a Savior. There is someone who can free you from your sin. There is someone who can deal with your guilt. There is someone who will give you life and shine light into your darkness. This is a point the Apostle Paul makes. It's, It's clearly his motivation behind his mission when he talks about the love of Christ controlling him Because one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And the purpose he gives is so that we might not live for ourselves, but live for him who loved us and gave his life for us. So if Jesus would give his life for us, if he would set himself apart, sanctify himself for this holy service, to draw us out of our sin, then what more fitting way for us to respond than giving our lives for the sake of others? And speaking of this great salvation. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we we praise you as being the one who set yourself apart for this great act of service, that you would go to the cross, that you would bear our sin there, that you would bear the curse of it, that you would bear the wrath of God, that you would endure the pain and the agony, and that you would do this. You would come into the world so that we might be set apart from the world. Lord, we pray that you would in us more and more realize your purpose in going to the cross, that more and more we would be set apart, distinguished, not removed from the world, But Lord, people would see that we are a people gripped by your word. They would see more of Christ in us. Lord, as as you are doing this work by your spirit, that you would make us effective, uh, passionate ambassadors of the truth. That Lord, we would be turning back. Uh, we, We would be reaching out. That we would be pursuing other people, loving them well and, and, and earnestly telling them that at the foot of the cross there is plenty of room for sinners to join us and be saved. Lord, give us great zeal, great enthusiasm for this mission. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.